This is 950 Feet Behind, a podcast about women standing out and breaking barriers in the business world. This podcast is brought to you by Outbound. Visit outboundsales.io to create your free account today. My name is Leonor, and I'll be your host for the season. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 950 Feet Behind. Today, I'm here with the VP of Sales at Convergent IS, LinkedIn top sales leader, and author of How to Be a Nomad, Go from Business Suits to World Backpacker, the amazing Kim Raleski. Thank you so much for joining me, Kim. Ah, thank you so much. I am absolutely honored to be here. I know it's all our pleasure, believe me. So, uh, Kim, when I started this podcast, I didn't have many things that I absolutely wanted to talk about, but I always knew that I wanted to start with this one question. That's what I've been doing so far. And it is when you were a little kid, what is the first thing you remember wanting to be when you grew up? Oh my goodness. Um, I, I think I wanted to be like a doctor. Uh, I, I loved the idea of, of helping people and like, you know, taking them from um, sick to, to better. Um, and I even actually went to school thinking uh, that was that was where I was going to end up. And uh, and as I went through through university, uh, it uh, things change right very, very quickly as you're starting to be exposed to more uh, more opportunities. And and let's be honest, uh, medical school is really expensive. <laughs> and I unfortunately was I was unfortunately we did not come from a family that uh, that could afford that um so they were very fortunate on helping to set my expectations a little bit more realistic and and closer to the earth yeah well i, I guess that's good uh we all have to be yeah. aware of the situation and it turns out it didn't go bad at all for you so you went on to study finances then <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so here in Canada, um, before you go into medical school, you have to get a degree and it doesn't matter what the degree is. Um, so most, most physicians will um, typically go into a bachelor of science, um, you know, get maybe kinesiology. Um, but there are a few that actually go into business and then from there they will continue on to medical school. Um, so business was was something that I was also interested in, and uh, and so I did a degree within that. Um, ultimately, deciding on where I was going to go, did I want to do marketing because there was a sexiness to marketing, and I think there still is to this day, um, or finance, uh, which you know I thought, well, if I had to get a job, at least I could probably get a job in finance. There's always people looking for someone who really knows spreadsheets, banking, whatever that that realm was, and I was really good at math, so uh, so I went into finance. And ironically, that was actually the, one of the best decisions I could have made because it opened the door for roles outside of finance um, only because of the critical thinking that you have to build into, into that type of degree. Yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense. Okay, and you, you mentioned in your profile that there was a, a book that kind of changed your life and made you think, hmm, maybe I have to learn sales to be successful. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about that book and what it taught you? Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a very avid reader. Um, I love I love to read just to, to learn experience, uh, experience, you know, the world from different places. Um, and throughout my readings, um, one of the, the most influential 
uh, finance books uh, for people in personal finance is Rich Dad Poor Dad um, by Robert Kiyosaki. And uh, and originally reading that um, in the I think in the very first couple chapters, he talks a lot about how he ended up becoming a millionaire and the experience he had specifically working in sales and that how that changed his, his mindset. So when I had graduated, I was offered a couple of different types of roles. Um, one of them specifically being with, with Xerox, Robert Kiyosaki's old position where he learned how to sell. And I thought to myself, I'm like, oh man, you know, 20 something years old. Oh, one day I want to be a millionaire. And if I want to be a millionaire, I better just follow what other millionaires have done. And, uh, and so Robert Kiyosaki worked for Xerox. I'm going to get myself a job at Xerox and I'm going to learn how to sell. And sales was never something that I, I, I think almost every single salesperson, if you ever ask them if they wanted to be in sales, like it, it doesn't not appeal at whatsoever. And, uh, and so thankfully I, I did read that. And so I was like, well, maybe there's something more to it. I remember being offered my first selling position. I was like, are you sure? Like I'm university educated. Like I have a degree. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not a salesperson. Sorry, who do you think <laughs> I, I am? <laughs> um, but you, it was. You know what? It was one of the best decisions I'd ever made, and even to this day, I mean, I'm still impacting on from a sales perspective. Um, tons of companies, tons of uh, junior salespeople, executive salespeople. Uh, I'm now in my current role um, as an executive, um, running a software company. Well, amazing, amazing, and um, you started with a big, big company right following the footsteps of other millionaires yeah were there many women in that world when you started oh my goodness no <laughs> absolutely not um when my my first role in um at xerox uh i mean i was very fortunate there was one other there was a one other woman um and she had actually gone from uh, she was quite senior um, at the time. I think she was like five years away from retirement at the time. Uh, and she told me the stories about how when she first started the company, like 30 some years ago, she started as the secretary. Uh, we don't even call use those words anymore. Uh, but she started as the secretary and then ended up convincing the company after 15 years for her to eventually become into sales. Um, in which case then they, they did because it was like, well, we can lose her or we can finally give her this role. Um, later on, I moved to a different uh, a different geography, and I was the only woman out of thirteen men um, in the bullpen, and it was it was hard. It was a very masculine type of energy to the point where I mean we had Nerf guns in the offices, and you know, and there was a lot of you know golf games and you know like bros you know going out for drinks. And as the only woman, I was never really invited to those types of things because I you know I didn't follow the bro code in the same way. There wasn't a lot of women that you could look up to in terms of uh, senior executives, um, in specifically in the sales realm, lots in HR, lots, a few in marketing, um, very few in sales. And, and that became really hard. Um, you know, I mean, and especially over the last few years where we've seen a lot of this representation matters, um, it's important to see females um, as an executive leader, as CEOs, as vice presidents in these roles, because it, it shows that we have something that we can grow and aspire to. Whereas when you're, show, when you're the only one, you don't get the same type of conversations. And we'll probably talk a little bit more about this, but you know, just even how I approached my clients, how I needed to communicate in the office, um, how I it, um, express frustration <laughs> is a lot different than my male colleagues. 
And apart from that kind of social side with the colleagues, in terms of the leadership in the company and even the customers you talked to, did you feel any sort of discrimination that they took you less seriously for being a woman? Um, I, I don't know if it was if it was less seriously. I I definitely and it, I wouldn't say necessarily with my colleagues or inside the company. Um, I definitely was able to fight fight my own. Um, where I struggled the most was actually with my clients, um, especially at the very beginning stages. Um, a lot of my clients who had never had a female representative as a salesperson um, before before I came in, um, a few of them like you know were like you know and, and maybe part of it was like where my age was as well. Um, a few of them just didn't take me as seriously, and they thought, oh well, you know it's fine. Um, you know, thankfully I was I was really sharp on my toes. I still am, uh, really fast um, in thinking, and and that was you know it really became to the idea of like let me prove you wrong um on the other side of it uh my, i'll say my cockiness kind of played um played in favor of of my role because what i knew was that as the only woman in um in the bullpen um i, I was essentially untouchable <laughs> And, and I wish I wish I would have like, you know, kind of like simmered myself down at that young age. Um, but I thought, well, you know, as the only like, there's no way they could ever fire me. Right. You know, unless I like really screwed up, um, you know, I can actually really push the envelope. I could try a lot of different things where the balance had to be met, though, was uh, was working with a few of my managers because working with um, with a female is a lot different than working working with a male and and i will be honest i mean you know i not to say like emotional as a bad word but we use a lot more emotional intelligence we use a lot more empathy when we're communicating with people and when i was being trained in sales um some of those like tough calls or the hard closes that you know a lot of people pride themselves on didn't appeal to me um i was never one to say like you know either do this or or here's your ultimatum it was let me serve you let me treat you the way way i would want to be treated if i was a client and then and then i can service you um, which is part of the reason why, uh, when I eventually started my own sales training company, that was kind of the central pillar of everything we did within the sales culture was treat others the way you want to be treated and the rest will follow as opposed to hacks and tips and tricks and, and different ways of negotiating, you know, a hard stop type of conversation because relationships will follow you for decades. Whereas if you're really just only focused on the sale and a short-term gain, you're going to lose long-term in the end. So that has actually been the perspective of most of my guests that women might not be as aggressive, but they're better at relationship building and listening and at caring for uh, the customer's needs, do you feel like that actually plays in our favor due to our education and, and the way we're brought up? Well, I mean, you know, women in general are, I mean, we're, we're brought up to be, you know, very nurturing, right? I mean, everything from, you know, a young age, right, where we're, you know, given dolls to care for, right? Now, I mean, you know, we were just, before we started, I mean, we were chatting about children and everything, and I have a young son, um, you know, and so knowing what I know now, I mean, you know, I allowed him to play with whatever he he wanted to play. And for, there was a period in time when he was about two or three years old, he had his baby that he loved, like his little tiny pocket, you know, doll of some sort, and it was his baby that he wanted to take care of. And and, and I encourage that because I thought, you know, this is this is teaching nurturing. Um, 
as as we grow up, right? I mean, we still have this ability to want to take care of others. And not that, you know, I, I should ever discourage women about being aggressive, um, but we should feel okay to be assertive, right? We should be okay to say what we want to say. We should be okay with coming up with those ideas. And you, we're, we're finding ourselves in this really cool space where people are becoming more open to giving our, ourselves that, that space in the room. And, you know, I think we have, you know, groups like um, Susan Cain, right, who wrote, um, you know, who, who wrote Silent, uh, or sorry, Quiet, um, about, you know, encouraging even introverts, right, you know, make sure everyone has an opportunity. Um, I will say, you know, even the the whole, you know, online, um, online meeting space has transformed this, because as people go through this, I mean, we're getting used to seeing people and their names and calling on individuals, giving everyone a space. As women, I, I think we need to, we need to encourage that assertiveness, be open, be willing to take yourself off mute right away give your opinion, throw your hand up when you're at a conference and they have a Q&A session, even if you haven't formed the question directly, put yourself in these spaces where you're the first ones to speak up, even if the idea isn't formulated yet, and allow others to add on to that idea, as opposed to feeling like we have to hold ourselves back wait for the idea to be completely formulated before we contribute. And that's a skill set that I think anybody should be able to, um, to learn and grasp on, and it will help you throughout your career. Do you think it's that need to like prove ourselves as women and to be perfect and to make sure that people listen to what we have to say that makes us sometimes wait a bit until we have like the perfect question, the perfect thing to say, a very articulated uh, sentence that makes us hold back sometimes? Yeah, and I don't know if it's just a, a female thing, right, as so much as it is more of a perfectionist thing, right? I mean, you know, I as a recovering perfectionist myself, that was something that I definitely had to uh, had to overcome. Um, what what I would say to anybody who feels like they have to wait before they per they have the perfect thing, I have to wait till I have framed the question perfectly. I have to wait until I have the, the idea completely thought out. That will actually do more of a disservice to you then then help you along in your career um it is okay to say i haven't thought it out properly or here's here's some introductory thoughts um another thing that we typically do specifically in sales because oftentimes sales people I think that in order to sell, we must have all the right answers. We have to have the right solutions. We have to have the right ideas. And this will oftentimes prevent us from being, uh, from being or like articulating what we want to do. I, I encourage salespeople and really anybody in leadership, this is now becoming a, a skill in leadership, get good at just asking questions right? You know, frame questions and get others to contribute to the conversation. And instead of feeling like you have to have the answers, help be the the assistant in helping people to form their own solutions, right? And, and you're just challenging their ideas and asking those questions as you go forward. Um, perfection will serve no one. 
right? Um, whereas, you know, being humble and saying, I don't know the answers and I want to help out will always serve you. And that's why typically junior salespeople will outperform their senior peers within the first year, because they come from that place of humbleness, and they just want to learn and explore and ask a lot of great questions, as opposed to um, a senior person who knows I've seen a 100 times, I just want to give you the answers as quickly as possible, which will actually slow down sales cycles and conversations with people moving forward and i actually have seen that a lot that's a very interesting perspective you see even on social networks professional ones like linkedin uh loads of sales professionals focusing on what the objections to their sales might be and how to answer every single question that their customers can ask under the sun and rarely yeah. ask themselves how can we guide them what do we want to know about them to be able to help Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, and, and that was, you know, when I had the sales training company, that was very much what we focused on a lot. It's like, what don't you know? Right. And, and even today, you know, as I was brought in as, as, as the VP for Convergent IS, you know, that has been one of my challenges to all of the sales people that we now hire is what don't you know about the solution? You don't need to know the answers, right? Be okay with the clients educating you. Um, allow them to tell you what they ultimately want. And the faster a client comes to their own conclusions, the easier it will be to sell every single time. And this is, you know, and this is what we see oftentimes, specifically even in tech sales. Um, people will jump to demo right away, thinking like, you know, if I show them the solution, they'll get it. And you might create excitement because people are excited to see. But if you jump there too soon, you can ultimately deflate the entire sales cycle because now that they've seen it, if they're not clear on how it will impact their business, it leaves a really sad moment because they're, they're not clear on where they ultimately want to go to. They've seen something and now they've ultimately given themselves more questions. And the only person that can answer it is themselves because the only, what you've shown them by jumping to demo right away is that you're there to provide answers to questions as opposed to challenging thought and providing more questions and helping them come to their own conclusions. And it overloads, I, I feel, people sometimes, especially when you have complex products and sometimes they just want to use a part of the product and you're there for hours expanding everything that it does just to come to the end and the person didn't see as much of what they actually were oh. interested in and it just saw a whole lot of things it just makes them lost in the whole process doesn't it it's it's absolutely horrific when you when you think about that because you know getting getting to to demo should be a place of this is the final piece before the client makes the decision and they only need to see what they need to see whereas too many far too many companies will go ahead and feel like they need to show the entire suite of products and solutions and by doing that, um, it overloads the client, it overwhelms them. The confused mind says no. And if you confuse your client, you're ultimately settling with the no. Your, your only responsibility is to connect this is what you've envisioned with now your reality as opposed to let me show you something and create a new reality for you, right? They're looking at it backwards. And instead we have to look at it as let's come, come to a clear consensus on what this is going to do, how this is going to impact what it's compared to your current state. And then we're going to confirm 
that that is the case with a demo by only showing you the 20% that is going to help you get to that 80% of the result. Absolutely. And I am absolutely sold as well on the fact that you are an amazing person in sales and that you know a lot. But those who are just listening to us now might not know that you had this promising career, started out as an amazing company, and at some point said, you know what, I just want to take some time off and travel the world. Why did you do that? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, so after, after Xerox, I had worked for a medical company. I worked for a couple of years with American Express on their national um, corporate payments. From like, I mean, from a salesperson's career, I mean, that would like, you know, be almost the pinnacle um, from an individual contributor standpoint, right? A great company, Fortune 500, working with like the biggest accounts. And, um, and I was in my, uh, my, oh, I think I'd already turned 30 at that point in time. And um, I just hit this moment where I was like, you know, every, every moment I, I hit these like 10 year paths and I asked myself, like, where do I really want to be in 10 years? Right. Or what do I like, what haven't I accomplished that I really want to accomplish? Um, and for me, that answer was, was travel. Um, I had, I had like left school. I had jumped into a career right away. I was hitting 30. I'd already owned a house. I think I was, um, I was a landlord because I actually had a second property that I owned at the time. And, uh, and I said, you know, I, I never really experienced any time of just taking time for myself, taking that sabbatical, why not do it now? Like it's never too late to do something for yourself. And um, and this is before I was married, before I had kids. Uh, and so I decided, you know what, I'm going to take six months six months and I'm going to, I'm going to travel the world. And, uh, and it was um, by far one of the best things I could have ever done. Um, I, uh, I, I, to be honest, I spent as much on it as my university education. Um, but I, I will say I gained more from that experience than anything else and um and traveled 17 countries um wow. for uh across that yeah 17 countries by myself backpacking um six months uh and um and it was an incredible experience was there any country that impacted you in a special way oh i <laughs> It's, it's such a hard question. It's like asking it like a mother, like which of your which of your children is the favorite. <laughs> um, but you know what? I mean, every country every country touches you um, completely different. What I will say is, from that particular experience, I had the unique perspective of having quick comparisons of of one country versus another, like little nuances, right? The way um, the way people inflected, you know, a language, um, the way food was eaten differently or presented um, on different places. Um, the way, you know, uh, communication and politeness appeared in different in different ways. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, I mean, you know, you, you have places like, you know, that I, I would have never really considered to be my favorite, like Vietnam, where they're just so in love with love. And I would have never known that that entire thing. Um, you know, everything from, uh, you know, the, uh, the Red Sea re region of Egypt, right? And like it had the best diving in the entire world. And, and I had, you know, previous, like, you know, I think four months, five months before that, I had actually gone diving in the Great Barrier Reef. And not even thinking that the Red Sea diving was was even more incredible and more colorful than anything I'd ever seen. Um, so, I mean, every country had had its unique balance, uh, and and I'm incredibly grateful to have taken that opportunity for myself. That's so cool. Like, I think everyone should—women, men, young, old, 
everyone hasn't traveled and has a possibility to even yes. backpacking if and if you don't have much money just and even more importantly doing it by yourself right i was uh we were at a um a company event and i was chatting with a couple of my of my employees and colleagues and uh and we, the, the story was brought up and i said if you have not traveled by yourself as a solo you know a solo individual right you don't have to go far but you have to go somewhere and you have to go by yourself um because part of what you learn by traveling by yourself is um is is to be okay with yourself right is to be okay with the conversations that go on um and i think you know if we get into you know even building this on to uh a lot of mental health and everything. I think a lot of people struggle because they haven't come to terms with the the person that they're going to be spending, you know, their entire life with. <laughs> and they feel like they need to fill in that void and fill in that noise um, without actually asking themselves, like, what makes me happy? And, and how do I just enjoy this person as a, as my company, as opposed to feeling like I have to fill it with friends and family and, and noise and conversation all the time, go to a restaurant by yourself, go to the movies by yourself, um, get on a plane and spend, you know, even just simple three, four day weekend um, somewhere in a complete unknown place and, and learn how to navigate that entirely on your own. And you will be amazed by what you will learn about, about who you are. I can definitely relate to that. I, I moved abroad on my own at the age of 19. And it's kind of, you have that moment of who am I when no one else is watching? You know, like, completely on my own, when I have to provide for myself, make my own choices, and I decide to go left or right, who am I? And it definitely gives you the tools to then build a future, even with other people. I think you become a better colleague, a better friend, a better partner, a better mother, um, eventually, in well, both of our cases, when you learn who you are completely on your own. Absolutely, yeah. And then you came back all excited and said, well, let's write a book. <laughs> Yeah, well, so I was I was fortunate. I mean, so every day that I traveled, I, I did blog, um, and so I t I turned that blog into a book. Um, and then I had a lot of people were approaching me with a lot of questions on if I wanted to travel like this, how how would I how would I do that? So I took a lot of my experience on what I had learned from everything from from safety to um, you know what what does it look like to you know book flight to flight to flight? Um, you know what are some of the, the tips on getting the best hotels? Now, thankfully, technology has really improved prove that um, when I did it, I mean, that was eight years ago. And it's amazing to see how far technology has come today. Uh, because I mean, even just the the simple act of having the suite of emojis, I'm like, now today, if I needed to go to a place like Japan, where English is only spoken by 25% of the population, I could still communicate in emojis. Whereas back then, I was trying to do these really weird mimes. I'm like, I just need to eat. <laughs> Where to go? Where do I go? Um, I remember at one point sitting down at, at a bar. I don't even think the restaurant was open, but they I think they felt so bad for this poor Canadian girl. They let me in, and they just kept feeding me until I told them I was full, like I had enough. And I was like, I don't know what I'm eating, but I'm just going to eat it. Um, um, and so, so I came back, I wrote a second book, which was on the, how to be a nomad. Um, and then, uh, and then eventually, uh, I, when I decided I wanted to continue on developing more on the sales career, um, my sales methodology, I wrote my third book, which was, uh, sell more faster. And now you're at the very top of the pyramid. You're a sales leader, um, and very, very well, inspirational. Not the very top. I hope I still have more places to go. <laughs>
it's always a top until we see there's more. Though yes. you'll do even more amazing things, but like everyone looks up to you. Did you ever think when you were sitting down reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, you'd get to where you are now? Oh my goodness. Um, I think there's a, there's a moment where you hope that one day it will happen. Uh, but these are, I mean, they're long journeys. And, uh, and I think, I can't remember where I had heard the, uh, the saying before, um, but it was something along the lines of like, you know, the days are long and the years are short. And, uh, you know, and so sometimes, you know, especially when you have like those hard days, like, you know, I remember, you know, my first six months working for Xerox and not getting sales, right? I was just like, I was so frustrated because I'm like, I'm trying so hard and I'm crying at my desk because I just can't make things work. And, um, and one day I was watching one of my colleagues who just made it look so easy. And I'm like, how, like, how? how did you do that? And he goes, I treated people like people, right? You're, you're trying to treat them like a sale. You're trying to treat them like, you know, a price tag or like, you know, a wallet that you're waiting for them to open. He's like, just, just have a conversation. And, and it was in that moment that, that everything started to change. But those days that led up where I was like, how am I ever going to get out of this? What is my career? I need to change my careers. I need to find a new job. Um, and, uh, you know, it just little bit by little bit and, you know, and really stepping outside my comfort zone. I think that was the other thing is anytime I felt like I, I'm punching above my weight class, right? I'm, I'm, I'm doing bigger things than I'm ready for. I knew that was the right thing. And, um, and even in this role, I mean, you know, I was given lots of opportunities for lots of different companies as individual contributors, as consultants. Um, and I was like, no, I want, I want something that's truly going to challenge me because if it's not challenging, I'm not growing. And, um, thankfully, you know, I, I get to experience that and I get to look at, um, a brand new opportunity, brand new clients, brand new people I get to impact, um, now from a different side of, of the business, not from sales influencer but rather i'm i'm standing with you i'm selling the same way you are and i'm here to now talk about my learnings and talk about what I, what i have gained from those experiences and you're still a mentor and a volunteer is it really yes. important to you that you always give back and make sure other people uh, oh, can do the same and Scale up. Of course, uh, yeah, absolutely. Of course. Um, you know, even the days where I feel like I don't know if I have any more time to give, <laughs> um, I try to, you know, dedicate, you know, even like one or two hours a week to like a coffee, to a conversation, um, you know, to, you know, how can I truly help you? Um, I, I very much believe that, uh, that life will always come back. And, you know, and I have found myself now, you know, almost almost 20 years into my career, um, you know, where I have had conversations with somebody 15 years ago, and they remember that moment, and they will always come back to you. And so I, I find that really important, because I am a big believer of the uh, pass it on type of theory of karma in, you know, just just be a good person and help where you can help, even if you don't feel like it's enough, even if you feel like it's you can't contribute enough, even just giving people a, a different perspective of opinion um, will open their eyes and um, and hopefully they will continue to pass that on throughout their career as well. That's something I think many, many people could absolutely learn from. And we've just hit the 30 minute mark. I'm, I've been telling myself, Saying that these episodes were 30 minutes was the worst decision I made <laughs> in the last couple of weeks. 
Um, but well, I'll have to end. But I do have one last question for you. And it is, what do you hope the future for women in sales, women in business, and specifically also mothers uh, like yourself in business will be? What do you think we can still change to make it more inclusive and more fair? Yeah, I, um, I, thankfully, there's a lot more companies that are not looking at, number one, motherhood as a limitation. Um, and, and I think the whole movement to, to work from home or the flexibility is really going to help um, a lot more people as they go forward. Uh, I'll be honest, um, you know, I, I mean, I have a five-year-old and, and before I took on this, this vice president position, I mean, you know, I ran my, my own company, I was a CEO and, and I developed a company that, um, that I would be proud to have others work for. And thankfully I found a company just the same way when, when that transition came. Um, we have to be okay to allow people to be people, which means they have to take care of themselves first. They have to take care of their families first. They have to take care of their health first. And if you are an organization that appreciates that, your employees will appreciate you in return. Your company is not their number one priority. And by demanding that, that means that later on when, when priorities do have to change, they will never put you in their top. Whereas um, as you, as if you allow them to have that space to, yeah, there, there's kids playing in the background. It just, it is what it is, but they're not, it does not mean that they're going to limit or provide themselves any less dedication to your company or the growth that you're going to provide them. And thankfully we're seeing a lot more of that. So, you know, for all those companies that are demanding people to come back to work, just don't don't do that. Right. I mean, that, that limits, that limits house. Yeah. It limits households. It limits um, individuals and, and those, those children that they're raising will one day be adults. And will those adults eventually want to work for your company? If that's how they, how they saw you treat their parents. That is an amazing perspective actually. And I hope that tomorrow there's not news thousands of people quitting their jobs after listening <laughs> to the podcast episode. <laughs> but well, wait, we'll start a movement here. Don't go back to the yeah. office. Kim, it was yeah. an absolute pleasure having you. I can't believe how Thank fast you. time flew by. And I mean this for every guest, for everyone who's been listening to the other episodes. Don't think that I'm just faking it because I do mean it with every single guest. It's amazing uh, how quickly time goes. Um, thank you again for joining me. And as for our listeners, I'll be back next week with the Vice President of Global Strategy Alliances at Genesis and author of Moments, Magic, Miracles and Martinis, Amy Slater. I'll see you all then. <laughs>